Just go make yourself at home. Mikasa okay, is Sufasa. It really is. Mikasa is Sufasa. Mikasa no... Oh, you sit there, Mikasa no Espanol. Alright, gang. We are starting and we're actually picking up Matthew 10, verse... Uh, chapter 10, verse 32 to 42. I don't know how to use a Bible that doesn't have a tab. Surprise tab. It's about Matthew 10, verse 32 through 42. I'm in 26. Oh, you grabbed the message. That could be a little confusing. Because the way they do verses is different. Yeah. Tom, start, read one verse, and we'll go clockwise. (laughs) Matthew 10, 32, 42. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But we keep going? Oh, one verse. Go, Denise. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Thirty-nine. Oh, it's thirty-eight. Verse thirty-eight. I don't know how to read the Bible. We, I got you. Well, maybe I'll cover for you guys. Ready? And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life in my for my sake will find it. Anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Okay. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you so much, Lord, for tonight and for the beautiful gift of laughter and joy and just enjoying each other's company and being in the midst of people that we get to live life with. God, I pray that as um, we talk about this set of scriptures tonight, Lord, that you would um, give us just wisdom and um, Lord, would you speak freely through me that I would not get in the way of what you want to do here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this, the 10 verses that we just read, there were some like some pretty bold statements in there that kind of stand out because one, the first initial reaction, I want to know what stood out to you in this set of verses. So like for me, it's the statement that says, I did not come to bring peace. I came with like as the sword that stood out to me. Tristan, what stood out to you? Kind of a heavy line that a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Mm-hmm. One more person, what stood out to you? We kind of talked about this um, a few weeks back because it talks about it uh, above, and it, he's just 
he's it's really black and white. There's it's a line in the sand. Yeah. Right? It's he's being very forward and very like this is what it is. Mm -hmm. There's no like soft coating it, sugar coating it, you know. Is he putting it on the side or something? You know what I mean? Yeah. This is what it is. Yeah. I think what like this these two verses in the beginning, everyone who acknowledges me Publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. And this set of verse, what is interesting about Jesus saying this is that I think oftentimes we can sugarcoat what it means to follow Jesus because it's like we're trying to sell the idea of the gospel. And it's like a sale where we need to like bundle it with something else to make people want it. But here's the thing is that the gospel in itself does not need to be paired with anything else to make it more appealing. Jesus himself does not need to be sold like a pair of sneakers. Like, you want this because this is hip and this is cool. But but Jesus is just so incredibly honest about saying that when you follow me, there is a cost. And we see this conversation. Jesus is continually bringing it up in small and large gatherings throughout his ministry. He was like, are you sure you want to follow me? Because you will be persecuted. People will hate you. You will face death. Mm -hmm. Are you sure you want to follow me? Because when you follow me, you must acknowledge me. Because when you acknowledge me, you are letting people know we belong together. That this statement that if you acknowledge me in front of people, I will acknowledge you in front of man. Jesus is cutting to the heart of what he knows we fear, which is the fear of man. Of what will people think of me what would they think about me if they knew i was a christian how would they would they change their opinion of me if they knew what i believed and so he's addressing it very directly that if you do not acknowledge me in front of people i will not acknowledge you in front of the father and it made me think about how this idea of like would you know that I loved my husband and my children if I never spoke about them. Would you? Would you? If I never talked about Riley and the kids in any arena, if I never told people I was married, if I never let anybody know that they are such a significant part of my life, would you believe me if I told you I love them? If you have never heard of them before. Yes, no? Would you believe that I love them if I never spoke about them? If I never told people about how much I love my husband and how much I love my kids and how they're such a big part of my life? Here's the thing is that this relationship, our relationship with people, these are human relationships. And it's even, the thing is that addressing this is that I talk about Riley because I love him so much and I want people to know that I'm married. I want people to know what I think about my husband. I want to share how God is existing in our marriage. Like I want to share all those things. So I talk about him. But this is a human relationship. So if Christ came and died for me on the cross, how much more should I be talking about this incredible Savior that I have? This incredible person that I know in the embodiment of Jesus without fear of what people would think about me. Because I want to be somebody that acknowledges God in front of people. Acknowledge the fact that Jesus has radically changed my life. 
And here it's pointing to that fact that it's like either you're going to live in fear or you're going to live in faith. You're either going to boldly pursue me and be a disciple or you're not going to be it at all. That there, it is very black and white. And we make it really fuzzy because we want to make it more palatable. Just like when we preach the gospel and we only preach like grace and mercy and we don't preach the totality of the gospel and this sense of urgency that as Christians, Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that he is the son of God, fully God, fully man, was sent to earth to live a life, a sinless life, and died so that we would be given the opportunity to decide whether or not we want to be in relationship with him so that we could be in relationship with the Father. So if we are point A and God is point B, Jesus is the singular way to get from point A to point B. There is no other way. So if we are not willing to acknowledge that, we are fearful of acknowledging it, we must understand that there will come a day where we will be, we will answer to our actions and our life. So we'll, and Jesus is very clear. You will either acknowledge me in front of people or you won't. And I will either acknowledge you in front of the Father or I won't. But it is based on this fact that either we will be in fear of man or we will live in faith. And he's, and this is the thing is that that is a cost of discipleship. That is a cost of following Jesus. He is so honest about what it looks like to follow him and live in relationship with him. He's not making it fuzzy or fluffy or making it just sound fun. He's like, there is a cost and it might be your life. And so he goes and he continues because he's like, when you are rejecting Christ, you are rejecting God. And that is it. Because when God sees us, he sees what Christ has done for us. And without the sacrifice and death and resurrection of Christ, there is no opportunity for recon reconciliation and restoration. So Jesus is like, is, you're either going to acknowledge me or you won't. I will acknowledge you or I won't. But it is based on the decisions that you make. And he goes on and says, we were made right with God. Or actually, this scripture stood out to me when I was reading it. It's like, we were made from Romans, sorry, Romans 3, 22 through 26. We were made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People were made right with God when they believed that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in present time. God this did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight because what they believe in Jesus. And the thing is that in the Old Testament, you have all these rituals that the religious people would have to do to atone for their sin. So what does atone for their sin mean? It essentially means essentially make up for their sin, make right for their sin. And so there are all these rules and regulations of what the people would have to go through. And it would be one person from the clan of Levite who would then go into the temple, the innermost sacred part of the tabernacle temple, and then what he would do is that he would go through several ritual washings 
People would have to essentially confirm that he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And that one man on that one day went into that one space to essentially ask forgiveness and atone for the sins of the entire nation on that day, that place, that time, that person. And if he did it wrong, he would be struck dead within the most holy part of the temple. And they would sacrifice hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of like animals that were unblemished to atone for the sin. And so when we talk about Jesus being the final sacrifice, the last atonement, is that because of what Christ has done, we don't have to do that anymore. We do not have to go find an unblemished goat and kill it to atone for sin. We do not have to cast, ask for forgiveness and do all these things because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can be made right. It is through him that Christ, that God sees us. So we can either acknowledge that with our life or we can't. But here's the thing is that if we do not preach the totality of what that gospel is, people are signing up and they're saying yes to this emotional experience of who God is. And when we sign up for emotional experiences of what God is, who God is, and whether you feel him or not, it becomes a really scary place where you don't feel God anymore. You don't feel his presence. You don't feel him moving. When we take the terms of our faith and move it into the realms of emotion and we don't feel it, then we doubt it. But God is present and God is moving and God is real regardless of whether or not we feel it. And then we make the decision of whether or not we want to acknowledge it. Because if we do not acknowledge Christ in front of people, he will not acknowledge us in front of God. And that was why Christ came, was to be that in-between. And it comes again to this, is like, would you believe me? If I never spoke about how much I love Riley or how much I love the kids or how I'm married, how these things, would you know? Chances are you wouldn't because I would never talk about him. So if that's what, that's kind of the acknowledgement that I give to Riley, I then have to question my life and be like, is this the acknowledgement I give to God? If I do believe that Christ died for me and because of him, I have a chance for new life. Am I willing to talk about him? And here's the thing. I, I do not mean standing on the street corner and holding signs. That's not talking to anybody about, that's just you holding a sign and maybe yelling at people. But when you are in hard situations or in conflict, in relationship where there is always, there is conflict, are you pointing to Jesus? Are you acknowledging Jesus? Are you letting people know that your faith informs your actions and how you are behaving? And will you repent if your faith is not changing how you are behaving in the midst of conflict? Because that's the thing is that a relationship with Jesus slowly changes our lives. It slowly changes the way that we love people. And when people interact with Christians, they should sense that something is different. And for each of us, it could be something that is different. 
For some of us, it will be the mark of joy where you come across a Christian where you're just like, I don't know what it is about you, but your joy is contagious. In the midst of trials, I don't know what it is about you, but I know that life really sucks for you right now, but you still have so much hope. I don't know what it is about you, but the way that you treat people around you is so kind and courteous. Because when we live abiding and aligning in our faith in Jesus, people will be drawn to us because there will be something different about us. And it is in those spaces we decide if we will acknowledge Christ and what he is doing in those spaces. And if you don't acknowledge him in those spaces, you're not a failure. It is an opportunity for God to show you and make you bold into spaces where he wants you to acknowledge who he is. And then the second set of scripture where he goes, I don't imagine... Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your household. Tristan pointed out that this was like that statement. Your enemies will be right in your own household. So what does Jesus mean by this? What does Jesus mean when he says, I did not come to just bring peace. I came with a sword. There will be division. Your enemies will be from your household. And if we read this scripture without context, this would freak me out. (coughs) What do you think Jesus means when he says this? Or how does it make you feel? Like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I think it's exactly what you just said. You know, mm-hmm. he brings a sword. The, it's like the word, and it's a division because not everyone was, you know, following along. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, people that were following Christ were, you know, well, I won't say all of them were hated, but you know, definitely, you know, you weren't part of the inside group if you were. And it's interesting that they say daughter-in-law and mother-in-law just reminds me that like everyone must have lived in the same house right Mm -hmm. your parents must have lived with you right because how could a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law be in the same house unless they all live together right martha talked about this a couple weeks ago when she talked about family structures and really how the context of family structures back in jesus's day is wildly different Mm -hmm. than what we think as family structures is you're right it's like mother and like you lived there were multiple generations in one home it just wasn't a singular family unit but it was multiple people in one space in one environment and the ties to family is significantly different that it was like the idea of like blood is thicker than water like the like this is your family this is your clan this is your tribe there is loyalty here and if you are cast out of family you're pretty much dead right so in like even now in the middle east if a muslim person decides that they want to be a Christian, they might be ostracized. The moment they choose to get baptized is when their family can cut them off from everything. And you're not allowed to talk to them. They're essentially dead. And it's this idea that following Christ will bring division. Following Jesus will mean that you will have conflict. We will have conflict in our most intimate relationships. And I think it's twofold. We will have conflict in our most intimate relationships 
Because in our most intimate relationships is a sense of safety to be fully broken and walking out what it actually means to follow Jesus. It is in our most intimate relationships that our friends and our partner and our children see the best of us and see the worst of us. And it is in those moments there will be conflict. Because it will be the conflict to acknowledge Christ in the middle of maybe your own brokenness or their brokenness and choosing grace and forgiveness anyways. But then I think the other part is conflict in the fact that there will be many opportunities for the rest of our lifetime with the people most intimate and close to us where we will have to decide if they say something that is not aligned with the word of God, will we say something too? If they attack faith, will we say something too? And here's the thing is that that is a scary, scary place to be, especially if you have a strong family relationship. This idea that you're going to speak up against your mother or your brother or your father and say, no, this is not honor God, therefore I will not do this. I remember when I became a Christian, I let, I felt called to leave UW to go to Northwest, to go to Bible college. And I sat down with my oldest sister and I told her, and she looked at me right in the eyes and she goes, don't you ever dare tell me God tells you anything because he is not real. He's like, and she was like, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. And that was it. There was division. There was conflict. And I had to choose in that moment, will I still go to what I feel like God has called me to do? Or will I shudder and be in fear and just agree with my sister and tell her, yeah, God doesn't exist. You're right. I was just being weird. So I had to make a decision and we will have many Many opportunities to acknowledge Christ in the midst of conflict because conflict is just what we can expect. Don't be foolish and go seeking for it, but just know that it is a part of it. It is a conflict in the nature of work. And we decide in those moments, will I acknowledge Christ and what he has done in me? Will I acknowledge the fact that this is Christ in me who changes my life, I will speak about him, I will share about him, I will be honest with him, and I will not just welcome conflict, I will expect it. And then we go forward, and he just continues to talk about how, if you if you love your father and mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. And if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take your cross and follow me, You are not worthy of being mine. And I provide context to this because this isn't a scenario where Jesus is saying, hey, essentially not a lot of people are worthy of being mine. If you love your family, you're not worthy of being mine. If you love the child that you birthed, not worthy of being mine. If you love your spouse, you're not worthy of being mine. But again, he's cutting straight to the heart of this idea of priorities. That at the end of the day, if we love anything more than we love Christ, if a Christian loves anything, idolizes anything, prioritizes anything over their love of God, they are not worthy of being his. And it shoots to the heart of priorities and addresses the things that we do prioritize. 
which is our relationship. And God isn't saying, hey, just to make sure you're worthy of me, I need, I need you to hate your spouse and your children and definitely your mother-in-law. Just to cover bases to make sure that we're good to go. What he is saying is know where your priorities lay. And when anything in your life, any good thing in your life can be something that's more important to you than me, then that is a place to recognize that that is a dangerous faith place to be. And the way that I've always thought about this is that, you know how we when we talk about priorities, it's usually in this idea of list form. Like my number one priority is this, and this is my second priority, and this is my third priority, and this is... And then we go down this list. But if you ever made a list of priorities, you ever notice how those priorities can change based on seasons? Like there might be some seasons where maybe your health, your fitness is a higher than your relationships or your, I, I don't even know another one, your career is more important than your family or your family is more important than career and then seasons change and then all of a sudden those priorities change. Something that I felt like the Lord gave me a vision of um, a couple years ago is that if we continue to put God on a list of priorities, his role will continually change based on seasons. There might be some seasons where, you know, God is just not as important to me as um, my, my, my dating relationship. God is just not important to me as my career. God is just not important than all these things. And so God slowly shifts down the pecking order of the things that are important. But I want to shift our perspective to thinking, like, you know how the solar system works, where everything rotates around the sun. It exists in gravitational pull around the sun. If the sun did not exist in the middle, there is no solar system for everything to revolve around. That Jesus... Oh, flat earth here. What? A flat earth. <laughs> flat earth. Oh, flat, flat earth! Science. Science. But this idea that everything rotates around Jesus is that if Jesus is the sun and everything rotates around him, your family, your friendships, your career, your hobbies, everything exists around the sun. And maybe seasons will change and things will become less important. They will come further out into what our priorities are. But everything rotates around him everything rotates around this relationship everything exists because of this relationship and this relationship gives life to all those other things but those other things do not give life to this relationship and another idea is this idea of like I don't know if this it makes sense in my head so we'll see what happens when it comes out of my mouth is that you have a phone and you have all the apps on the phone There are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of different apps that you can download on your phone and utilize. But those apps literally mean nothing if you don't have the phone to download the app to. Sorry, Josh. (laughs) Sorry, bummer, man. You said he's on your phone. It's like, no phone for you. No phone. Yeah, I know. I gotta get good grades all year. Knuckles, you can do it. Pivot. I gotta get above C's. I believe in you. Mm-hmm. I believe he's like totally. Mm-hmm. But this idea that you can have a phone and you can have all the apps that are on the phone, but without the phone itself, the apps are kind of worthless. You can have sixty dollars and I don't know how many apps that will buy you because I don't like to buy apps, but you can have sixty dollars worth of app money 
<laughs> but if you don't have a phone, that's like the cruelest joke in the world. <laughs> and it exists in this relationship that Jesus is like your phone and your career, your relationships, your hobby. All those things are like apps. Really they don't really matter phone. if without the context of a phone. The phone has to exist first. It has to be that priority that you should probably shouldn't be planning about all the way you're going to download these apps if first and foremost you don't even have a phone. Yeah, Dad, I really need a Jesus phone, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I need a Jesus phone. That be, can be the next wave, right? <coughs> yeah. But no this idea... Apple. What? No more buying Apple, only Jesus phones. Only Jesus phones. But this idea that Jesus continually talking about the importance and the necessity that he is priority. He is priority over everything. And we are surprised then when we enter into conflict with our most intimate relationships in, regard, in regards to faith. We are then surprised when it hurts to lay down maybe a friendship, a dating relationship, a hobby that is overtaking our attention, our devotion, and our love more than faith itself and relationship itself is that he is the priority. And what's interesting, when Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came with a sword. That's an aggressive statement. Like, that was the statement that stood out to me. Because what is Jesus known as? He's known as the Prince of Peace. He's known as the one that brings peace. So what is he talking about when he goes, I didn't come to bring peace. I came with a sword. It's the acknowledgement that peace isn't the absence of conflict. Peace comes from a place where you know that you are in a restored relationship with your creator. And that restored relationship with the creator is because Jesus made it possible. It's that aligning and that abiding. And that will come with conflict. Because Jesus, again, continues to say there will be people who hate you. There will be people who will persecute you. That the way of peace is not the way of avoiding conflict. I think Christians should be the best people to talk about what it means to handle conflict. But even in the realm of our relationship with each other, we're not great at it. Because we think being a peacemaker means of like not having conflict. But conflict is the place in which we experience the very thing that we preach. It is in conflict... That you have to ask for forgiveness. It is in conflict that you choose mercy and grace. It is in conflict that you choose to experience and give or receive the very thing we tell people Christ died for. It is in conflict. And again, like I said, the way of peace does not mean it is a way of avoiding conflict. But it is a part of what it means to be in restored relationship. Restored relationship right here with each other and restored relationship with people out there. But most importantly, restored relationship with our creator. Because of conflict, that is why there is Jesus. And in the newsletter I sent earlier this um, week, I talked about bumpies. And it's a conversation that our family is having right now. Because one of the things that I don't want to do as a mother, as a friend, as a pastor is to show you that I have my crap together because I don't. Because I'm human and I have bumpies. Bumpies are things that I am prone to, that I struggle with, that constantly I have to lean into my faith because bumpies kind of suck. 
And I had this moment with Kyrie where um, being a seven-year-old, we're working on attitude and tone and sass. And I think I'll work on that for most of her life, most of my life with her. <laughs> and we, she was taking out the dishes. She didn't want to take out the dishes in the morning. I'm like, it's your responsibility this week. And she just started throwing our stuff on the table. I was like, no, girl, this is our things. You need to handle it with respect. So she loads everything back in the dishwasher, and she's pissed. And she's just like, ah, and she's like crying. And she's just so upset. I'm like, Harry, what's going on? Why are you upset? And her statement was, I'm really upset that I was so disrespectful. And I'm like, no. Dead. But we then in that moment, I felt like the Lord was like, "You, we should acknowledge that we all have things we're working on. That, hey, Kyrie, as your mom, I have things that I'm working. I have bumpies. Your daddy has bumpies. Every person that you know has things that they're working on. And the things that we are working on will either draw us in closer to Christ or pull us away. That our bumpies can either fill us with condemnation, feeling like we're not good enough, that we should have our crap together all the time, that being a Christian is perfect, which is total crap. Or it is being human, and being human means I need Jesus. So the bumpies that we have, the things that we have, mean that this is why we need Jesus. Conflict with God, our creator, is the reason why Jesus had to come and die for our sins. If there was no sin... There was no need for a savior. And so Jesus is going to the heart of this. And he's saying, expect conflict. I still come as the prince of peace. That is still my messianic duty to fulfill the peace. That I will bring peace because peace will flow from me. As savior, as Messiah, I will be the peacemaker. I will be the prince of peace. Yes, I will bring peace, but with that peace will come conflict because not everyone will like you because of me. And if I am willing to go to the cross, if I am willing to be persecuted, if I am willing to be hung on a cross, you should expect that that might be your reality too. That martyrdom might be your reality. And what's difficult when we talk about this is When was the last time you saw someone crucified? It's been a while. It's been a while. When was the last time you saw someone arrested for their faith? Like like a friend was arrested for their faith. Never. When was the last time you were arrested and fined because you had a Bible out in public? Never. That is the reality of Christians globally that is why there are underground churches secret churches in china and iran house churches because they can't meet in public because they can't have a giant block of churches because it will be burned down they would be arrested that in china their secret churches they have to post signs that they can't prophesize to minors And then the government will send in spies to try to knock out these house churches. Guess what? House churches in the most persecuted countries are the ones that are thriving. In nations, people like, what was it, Justin, 
When he was a missionary, he casually mentioned afterwards that he was almost kidnapped because of his faith. That the first time I heard about persecution was a girl who came to our school or my university and she talked about how in India she saw her best friend and her best friend's family locked inside of their church building and the church building set on fire. And that was her memory of her best friend. The last memory that she had. We might not understand the context of persecution because we have so many religious freedoms here. So we might, like, probably the, 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 the scope of persecution is somebody calls you a prude. Or somebody says you're not cool. Or somebody calls you a Bible thumper. Or somebody doesn't want to be your friend. Or somebody doesn't invite you to happy hour. Or somebody just isn't nice to you. But none of that will kill you. None of that will break you. That is the extent truly of persecution in American context and culture. And again, then we fear it. And then we're afraid to tell people that we're Christians. We're afraid to share that we are journeying in our faith. We are afraid to share that this is our reality. But we have to acknowledge if Jesus is your savior, if Jesus is a part of your life, let it be known. Because I'm sure you let it be known when you're married, when I hopefully, when you love someone. Kyrie today got up on my face. She goes, Mom, can I see your Instagram? I'm like, no. She goes, is it because it's all about me? <laughs> Homegirl knows I love to talk about her. Because she's my daughter. Oh my gosh, I'd love to talk about her. I will show you all photos of her recital later. Because she is mine and I love her. Therefore, I will talk about her. But she, that human relationship is nothing compared to my relationship with God the Father, with Jesus. And I have to lean into that. And I have to exist in that. And I have to acknowledge it. And so my question, the first question that I have is, what are things or people that we can what are things or people that we can easily put in front of our faith? Did that question make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, perfect, perfect. Sometimes I write things that I just don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> Wait, does that mean like stuff that you would rather do? Yeah. Okay. You know, like school, taking out the recycle, dishes. <laughs> I think he means more like Girlfriends, boyfriends, video games. Video games. I'm with my friends. Status is a big one, probably. Mm-hmm. People like to put their status in front of Jesus because if you come clean with people, they're going to think you're a freak and your status is going to go down. I don't care about status personally, but I'm just throwing that out there. You're just throwing it out there. Throwing out the lifeline, anybody, anybody. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> People put image over faith. Image over faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to be careful because I can easily idolize and rely more on the security of my relationship with Riley than my my relationship with Jesus. Let's just make it real personal. So this is a relationship that I constantly have to check and just be aware. Like this marriage is it's pretty awesome. Did you write it down with Jesus? That's pretty cool. 
right up there. Top two. Top four. Don't forget the Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) But this relationship. But like this is my most important relationship. And because it's my most important human relationship, I can find that there are times where I will talk to Riley more than I talk to God. That if I am struggling with anxiety or depression, I lean more heavily on Riley than I do on my own faith. That when that I will seek Riley's counsel more than I would seek the counsel of the Holy Spirit. So I have to constantly check that inside of myself because I don't want it to become an issue because it is not Riley's role to be my God. It is not Riley's role. He was not meant to be idolized as a God. He was meant to be my husband, but not my God. And unhealthy behavior comes when he becomes my idol, when he becomes my God. And so that is something I know within myself I have to check. It's your bumpies. It's my bumpies. Anybody else? You want to come sit up here with us? Okay, then I need you to stop signing because it's super distracting for me. Okay, sweetie? Thank you. Josh, what could be something as a teenager that is, that would be difficult, that you find is difficult, like, to prioritize faith and? Um, <clears throat> like, hanging out with friends who are using social media. Mm, that's good. Ten ten the ten ten men. I think kind of in my position it's really hard because it's like, oh I have this big thing to do and like X amount of classes mm. that I have X amount of time to work on on top of oh well I only have this much time for this because then I have to work I have work later. Yeah. Or I can't work on this at all over the weekend because I'm only working, so how do I juggle my my stuff? That I need to get done immediately versus just kind of like taking that step back and being like, I can find time for this, but I should be putting God first. So, mm. that's good. Yeah, busyness and work is a big one. Busyness and work. Mm. Why is it so easy to put other things before our relationship with Christ? Because it takes effort and work relationships take that I think it's a spiritual attack too I think that the enemy makes Mm -hmm. our lives busy and creates confusion and chaos in our lives as a way to um, compete with God Mm -hmm. because like you're talking about you know having a list if if God's on your list then you're automatically comparing right because you're assessing you know the priorities and values of it right and God doesn't really exist on a list he's a standalone item right and then you have a list and <clears throat> I think the enemy tries to, you know, flip that around where he is on a list and create chaos and stress in your life where you're too mm-hmm. busy to really focus on God. You either get worn out, you're so tired, you have to go to bed at 8 o'clock, or yeah. you know, you're so stressed out, you can't focus on things or take yeah. the time to hear and listen. That's good. I've been reading this book, and it's really good. And, and what it says is, like, we will always look for ways to find, to gain control if we feel out of control. Mm-hmm. It's talking a lot about like anxiety and stuff, and um, it fits really well in this. Like, if you are feeling like you don't have control in your life, or 
or things are too hard and you can't deal with them, you'll like play video games because then you don't have to think about it. I or watch YouTube videos and cut my bangs in the middle of the night. Right? Or you'll or you'll work really hard because you you have control of your work and you can do a really good job and you can feel good about yourself even though you feel bad about whatever is giving you anxiety, right? And so what, what and all those things are idols because we feel out of control, so we turn to idols to gain that like I I have it together, I have this control. When really we when we feel that anxiety and that uncontrolled we need to go to God mm -hmm. and pursue him and pursue his um, his comfort for us and and mm -hmm. his way for us right and so I think that um, us trying to gain control mm -hmm. really yeah. at least for me it really hinders me from choosing him right it's me holding on yeah. instead of me releasing to him I think the idea of immediate return on investment that if I, I know that if I work X amount of hours, I'm going to earn a paycheck for this much. There's an, a pretty immediate return on the investment that I'm taking to work. When I play video games, all the video games that I play, all zero of them. Mario Kart. Oh, mm -hmm. Mario Kart. Yeah, one first place if anybody's interested. Yes. I know, it's no big deal. But if I do that, I can expect immediate gratitude like immediate gratification immediate investment first place, girl. yeah first place but the thing about our relationship with the lord is that it doesn't really work that way that they that that our first immediate return on investment it's salvation but this idea that we are then constantly spending the rest of our lives in pursuit of deeper love and deeper knowledge of who god is of this relationship and the thing is that if you don't show up for work, most likely your boss will call you and say, hey, where you at? If you don't turn in your schoolwork, someone's going to be like, you're failing. If you don't read your Bible, no one's going to say, hey, you're really failing here? You're not going to get your paycheck for not reading your Bible. If you don't attend church, no, ideally, no one is going to shame you and say, you're no longer, you're not getting the certificate for church attendance. There's a lot of things in our spiritual practice, in our spiritual disciplines that do not yield the same results that we are used to yielding when we put work into something. But our relationship with Christ requires investment. It requires work. Because to make a healthy marriage, to make healthy relationships, to make a great relationship between a parent and a child requires work. So if this requires that much work, how much more investment do I need to put into my most important relationship, which is my relationship with my Savior? Don't you feel like the, the closer you get to, I don't know, like the more time you spend with God... When you don't spend that much time, I I feel like oh like I like I long for it right like I'm like oh, I don't I need it back right yeah. it's just like like if I don't see Tom for a week I'm like oh I want to be with Tom or you know that kind of thing like you miss it that there's something in that space that can't you can temporarily fill it but it doesn't fill your soul the way that a relationship with Christ fills your soul. Yeah. 
that there comes this hunger and this desire where all you want to do is worship, where all you want to do is read, all you want to do is pray, because it becomes something that you can't live without. That interaction and that intimacy and that vulnerability, can't you can't be without it. And that is that important relationship. That is that acknowledgement. That is the we belong together. Despite the cost of what it means to follow you, I am with you. You are my God and I will follow you. You are my heartbeat. You are the one that sustains me. You are the one that gives me identity. You are it. And I will live my life singing of that truth because this is it. And Jesus lays it all out there of what it means to follow him. And the last two verses for this section, he's talking about when you receive someone, like when you receive a prophet for what they're doing, you're receiving a prophet's reward. When you give a cup of water to the least of these, you are serving me. And this echoes another part of scripture where the disciples come to him, to Jesus. And he's like, when you took care of the person without a home, when you took care of the hungry, when you took care of these people, you were taking care of me. It's the sheep and the goats. It's like Matthew 18. Yeah. And it's like this idea is like when you are taking care of people, when you are understanding that there will be persecution, but what you don't respond with is persecution, you respond with grace, mercy, hospitality, you're doing it unto me. That when you are faced with judgment from people and struggles with people you do not respond back with hatred and isolation and sass and all these things you respond with the thing that i give you which is grace and mercy hospitality that when you care for the least of these the people that cannot do anything back for you you are doing it unto me and that Like, I think that there is no better set of scriptures that could come after what we did on Tuesday night. We were able to participate in something where we saw a need and we met it because we could. That a conversation I had with the kids afterwards because I was wearing shoes, my feet were freezing. I had a jacket on and I was cold. But there was something that I knew. I knew that in X amount of time, I would be in my reliable car driving to my warm home, sleeping in my warm bed. After serving a community that will not go into a reliable car, drive home to their warm home and sleep in a nice, clean, safe place. And then Kyrie's sitting in there and she's saying, I'm so cold. And I had a chance to say to her, do you see all those people in there? There's children. And children. I was like, do you see them in there? She goes, yeah. And I was like, what will you do when we get home? She was like, oh, our home's going to be warm. I'm going to go climb into bed. I'm going to go to sleep. And then I have school tomorrow. And I said, every person in there will will not have that experience. Their experience will be greatly different than ours. And one of the things that stood out to me when I was talking to somebody asked me how it went was I think there's something powerful about practically loving people who can never possibly love you in return in the same way. That chances are they won't have a table outside of our workplaces, outside of our church, giving us things 
that we already actually have access to. That when we give them bottles of water or we give them snacks or we give them this, when we are caring for those who cannot care for us in the same way, when we are responding with grace and mercy in the face of what we know is persecution, that is following Christ and that is doing things unto him. That is acknowledging him in the way that we love those around us who can never love us back the same way. That with the response to persecution, we respond with grace. That in response to hardship, we we respond with hope. That in response to being withheld of things, we give out freely. And that is what it is to follow Christ. That is what it is to be a disciple. That is what it is to count the cost. That is what it is when we go out and we acknowledge him in front of people by the way that we love them. There will be people that we come across who will hate us greatly. And we have a choice right in that moment to say, will I acknowledge Christ in the way that I love that person? That they will treat me with venom, but I will treat them with kindness. That they will be rude and they will hate me, but I will be kind and I will love them. So we might not understand persecution on the scheme, the global scheme of what other people are experiencing but it's so important to remember that because what Christ has given us we poorly we pour out freely that is a way of acknowledging Christ in us because people would begin to say why are you so nice and they would be suspicious why are you not creepy why are you not weird why do you just give so freely And then even in that moment, we say, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, this is why. And that is acknowledging him. And I love it because even in the first set of scriptures, it's talking about how hard it's going to be. And at the end, it's talking about this beautiful relief, this beautiful relief that there are people who love us, that there is a safe place. And as we continue to build community, I hope that you experience here the fact that out there might suck some time, but every time you come here that you are met with love and acceptance and cares and hugs and laughter because that is what the church should be, is that when the storm is rough out there, we are in here together, encouraging each other, praying for each other, loving each other so that we can go back out there into the world and do the things that we need to do and then we come back here remembering how loved we are how cared for we are and then we go back out there and so i just want to end with like i want our takeaway to to focus around this which is how can we acknowledge christ and show our faith in our everyday life or how can we point people that to to this journey that we're on